My name is Kenneth Nars, and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects over 500 restaurant experts who share their favorite places, from the best place to grab a slice of pizza or hamburger, to the latest must-visit new fine dining restaurant opening. Today we're meeting Chef Isaac McHale of Restaurant Clove Club in London. Born in Orkney and growing up in Glasgow, Scotland, McHale started working at the local fishmonger at the age of 14, and after that worked in restaurant kitchen across Glasgow, before starting traveling and working at some of the best restaurants across the world. He spent time at restaurant Mark in Sydney, a shorter period at Noma in Copenhagen, and worked under Tom Aikens at his Michelin-starred restaurant, and finally joining chef Brett Graham's opening team at the Ledbury, where he worked for six years. He then became part of the experimental Young Turks collective and after a few years opened his own restaurant, the Clove Club in Shoreditch Town Hall in 2013. We meet Isaac McHale at his restaurant and hear the story of his way from northern Scotland to the best restaurants kitchens in the world and how he became one of the chefs that redefined British cuisine. For those of you who don't know him yet, we asked Isaac McHale to tell us a bit about himself and his journey to the top of the restaurant world. At the end of our talk, he will reveal his favorite restaurant recommendations in London and out in the world. You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. Tell me, who is Isaac McHale? Hi there, I'm the chef of the Clove Club restaurant in London. Uh, I'm Scottish, 42. 20 years in London now, 19 years I think, uh, and yeah, that's me. So, uh, your background, you come from the north, from Scotland? Yeah, I'm Scottish, uh, born, we were just talking, born in Orkney, uh, but my family's from Glasgow, grew up in Glasgow my whole life, uh, went to university there dropped out of university to carry on cooking, which I was doing before I went to university, you know, as a part-time job while I was at school. Uh, And uh, moved to Australia, wanting to see the world. I didn't want to come to London, I wanted to see somewhere else in the world and realised that in Australia everyone had worked in London, so I had to come back here. (laughs) And uh, yeah, here I am. Your uh, way to become a chef and restaurateur and having Clove Club, which uh, the first steps, the first sort of well-known restaurants that you worked at, there's uh, a few, a handful of them, which which was the first one? So, uh, the first was, uh, I moved to, from Glasgow, which has, uh, um, no, it does have a Michelin star restaurant now, but didn't at the time. Uh, when I was 16, there was uh, Andrew Fairley from now it was at Glen Eagles, and I wrote to him, age 14, wanting to <laughs> wanting to work there for free on a Saturday Sunday. Uh, and they said that he said no, quit school and come and be an apprentice here full time. I said, look, I haven't got my standard grades. I'm 14 years old. I want to work for free on one or two days a week. I'm not. I'm not giving up. You know, arithmetic and and basic basic schooling to come work for you. 
So, you know, I tried back then, but I moved to, I went to Australia wanting to work for Tetsuya Wakuda. I really wanted to move to Japan, but 20, 20 years ago in the year 2000, it was, the world was much more closed. Japan was much less interested in engaging with the world. It is now and has turned to tourism a bit. And uh, so I couldn't go to Japan. There's no UK visa so unless you, the only, basically you go there and teach English. Was what they, they let people in, you know, young people in to do. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. So uh, tried to go to Tetsuya's. I could get the working holiday visa, a young person's visa to go to Australia. They didn't actually accept any workers on that visa. I found out when I got there. So I wasn't able to work at Tets. And then uh, found a job with Mark Best. I'm at sure Mark, you'll restaurant. smile and know that. At, at Restaurant Mark? Well. At Restaurant Mark, yeah. yeah. Uh, with um, Finnish Passi Pettinen. Passi Pettinen, yeah. Yes, that's how I know my two Finnish phrases. I won't say them now. Yeah. <laughs> on, uh, yeah. Uh, I won't swear in Finnish on, on your uh, podcast. Um <laughs> And so I worked there, then helped open the four-in-hand hotel. He took on a bistro and a pub as well, where he sent Passy to be the chef there and some other guys. And so on. I was part of a small team there, interviewed by a young Pat Nurse. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, worked there for a year, was offered sponsorship to stay in Australia, but it's just so far away from family and mm. friends and home, so... Came home, and and what that the restaurant scene then in Sydney was that? Why did you go there? Was that in what way was it different than London? Glad, London's just not as I mean I've got used to it now, but it's just not as friendly a place as Glasgow and as Scottish people. And you just Scottish people kind of talk to you on the underground, and <laughs> in London you lean away from that person thinking they're weird. Uh, yeah, I get a view of London from Glasgow is large, expensive and unfriendly, I guess, um, as a place to live and move to. Uh, and so I didn't want to come to London, I wanted to go further afield. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was young, I wanted to see the world. And uh, yeah, so that's why. Okay. I, yeah. And then after Sydney, what uh, what restaurants? So Sydney, Mark and the four in hand uh, hotel he opened um, not a hotel it's what he called pubs there uh, and um, came back to London and took a job with Tom Akins at eponymous restaurant Tom Akins in Elliston Street now it's Phil Howard Elliston Street uh, that was 2002 and Tom Akins was big in those days yeah it was uh in that uh, 2002-2003, I think it came world's 50 best, number seven in the world in that time. You know, it was a big deal. And uh, it was a SAS really tough kitchen to work in. <laughs> really. I've heard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and after a year there, I was like, sick of this. Uh, not necessarily Tom, just other people in the kitchen. But um, Brett Graham was opening the Ledbury. I'd met him uh, at Tom Aikens. And so um, he, uh, yeah, so I was part of the opening team there. 
for the Lead Brain, stayed there for six years. Oh, that's a long time. And then Noma came in. So in my in my time in uh, in my time in the Ledbury, I you know I just I just said just said somebody to Noma after three years. Yeah, it's, so you know somebody's had a t- like I, I was been there long enough, just needed a change or to see something new or to be inspired again or whatever. And so uh, I. 2000 that was yeah 2007 uh went to went to noma it was number 10 in the world 50 best back then uh like there is now but there was you know there was a like harlem glow trotters in the kitchen everybody everybody who's you look then there was has now gone on to you mentioned earlier christian was in the kitchen there john tam was in the kitchen my good friend Brad McDonald, uh, James Nappett, kitchen table here in London, Dimitri Maggie from uh, Davies and Brook. Matt Orlando? Uh, Matt? Matt? No, Matt came after oh. after I was there. Uh, Rosio? Uh, uh, Rosio came after, no, it was um, Dan Burns, Ben Greeno, and Daniel Texter, German guy, the kitchen, did their milk crisps. Yeah, there was there was three three oh Sam Miller and uh, Sam and Victor and uh, God forget all people you know yeah it was great and inspiring and where did that lead came back to came back to the Ledbury and carried on there doing a thing and then I was the chance of doing a restaurant with some guys and didn't work out and before that didn't work out I went to New York for a month and worked at stage at Corton. Uh, Paul LeBrant and uh, Alain Madison Park Momofuku Aldea hmm? or Momofuku no, I was going to do both but I just did Noodle Bar for a day hmm. yeah just to just see, see what was going on there before coming back but then I don't you know I don't write those things on my CV hmm. for somebody you know I mentioned it to somebody once and they wrote worked at Alain Madison Park worked at which is hmm. you know, <laughs> highly inaccurate <laughs> And then is this when the Young Turks come in? Then this is when, yes, so uh, me and Ben, who I met at Noma, James Lowe of Lyles, who I met in London and stuff, we were all three of us looking to, uh, all around 29, 30, looking to do our own restaurants and uh not wanting to go back into somebody's kitchen and uh, we started doing a series of pop-ups and things. I remember, yeah. I was at one of them. Yeah. Uh, we did the first one and then and then Ben Greeno got um, taken to Australia by Dave Chang to do Monfuku. And so then me and James carried on doing some more things, Young Turks, and... Uh, that was lots of fun. People said, oh, is it just great just not having to have a restaurant? You just do these. And I was like, no, I hate it. Every day, the, every day you've got to, your bread supplier has got to find a weird new factory or rooftop that you're cooking on and deliveries get missed and are delayed and you don't have, you can't work as fast as you'd like to because you don't, don't know where everything is. So it was a, it was a means to an end, not, not, a, not uh, 
the thing we desired to do instead of having a bricks and mortar restaurant. Um, and I went back to Ledbury briefly as development chef to help out with Brett while uh, while waiting for things to happen. Then I ended up doing a supper club with my friends in their flat called the Clove Club, Daniel and Johnny. And uh, then James did the other, the Clove Club night in their flat. And then we did more Young Turks events and they helped us at those. And then came the time we did, then we did six months Young Turks at the Ten Bells pub in Shoreditch, no, in the Spitalfields. You know, culminating in us inviting, back, back in the old days before it was commercialised, a load of chefs for dinner the night before the uh, the night before World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards we must have finished on 29th of April that year 2012 or 2013 20 2012 and uh, there was us cooking in this second floor second floor of this pub the people dining on the first floor and we had <laughs> we had a row, a row of a row of tickets on the thing that just read like you know any chef's dream of people to cook for uh, Atala, Kinch Magnus uh, you know and on and on Peter Gilmore uh, this amazing table of heroes you know uh, and um, wow what a night and then then we then after that went on to open we did crowdfunding to raise money and open the Clove Club and was James part of that? He was part of that. The Clove Club? Yeah. No. No. Clove Clubs, so... Uh, me and James wanted to do our own yeah. food and had different ideas in food. Yeah. And uh, we came together and did something great at Young Turks thing. And, you know, we were in the National Restaurant Awards and we were a, we were a pop-up restaurant that had been there for f four months and we got into the the UK's best restaurant. So, we were, you know, we had, a, we had a great run there. But <laughs> our idea, our idea that we'd change the entire menu every week meant while working five days a week meant that on this, the Sunday, our first day off, we had to come up with a new menu. Then on Monday, we had to do orders for it. Then on Tuesday, our first day in, we'd come in, in the morning and have to make an idea into a dish that was good enough to serve that night. Day two, we'd tweak it a little bit. Day three, we'd... Probably by day four or five we got it right and then it was gone forever. Yeah. So we realised that was a... <laughs> yeah. Nobody got to see the best version of that dish. It was a, you know, a constant work in progress. Yeah. Almost right. Okay. Can it. We're doing something new. Next. So uh, that was probably, you know, inspiring and forced us to be creative but, you know, didn't necessarily... And, you know, that I guess that gave an energy and an excitement to the dining room and a feel of what was going on but also meant that things could be better. And then it's been how many years since that? 12 years now. I don't know, 10, year, 10 years now, nine years since, nine years that this place has been open, the Clove Club. Uh, we took the lease on a year before that, so it's been 10 years here uh, in Shoreditch. And... Uh, Yeah, feels like a lifetime. Uh, we 
crowdfunded to raise money for the restaurants. I've got small investors and we didn't have a lot of money so we were able to open in the East End which was cheaper than going to central London with a minimal fit out but we had a kind of grand old room. Uh, yeah, and trying to do the hardest thing was doing something different to what you did before because you spend your life as a chef working for other people doing doing things the way they want you to do them and uh, it'd be very easy to you know after six years at Ledbury carrying on cooking food like and plating up food like that and doing but you know if I did then it'd just be continuation of that so try very hard to processes and stylistically and the food to be different from there and a different different universe of flavours and things so that so there's a different story uh, and that's much harder than just carrying on doing what was you know or you know trying to do or imitate what you know Brett's thing because that's what I've been doing you know I could do you know I could do that so uh Fighting to define our own style and changing things has been the was the was the harder part at the start, and then also that coupled with untangling from me and James doing things together. What was my style? And what was his style? And what was how that become enmeshed in our discussions about what dishes we might do and what you know and what was acceptable and what wasn't and what was good and what wasn't. Uh, and and James uh, he opened uh, Lyles he opened Lyles maybe a year later than us he, he um, with different investors JKS and uh, yeah so we ended up stones throw from each other after after our uh, you know coming together briefly then yeah uh, and how I mean for someone who hasn't been to to Clove Club how would you describe it I <sighs> Don't know what I don't know what other people's take on it. Don't know what other people think of it. Um, what do you think? Uh, you walk into a rather grand entrance with our, you know, a uh, six meter high ceilings dining room in a in a in a uh, you know hundred fifty year old building. With a you know stepping over a moat is an impressive entrance into a kind kind of um, understated luxury. Let's say there's a there's a is not uh, there's not um, silverware and plush carpets and 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 those things is. It's a heritage building, listed building. Uh, so, the Victorian bathrooms, which people find quaint and hilarious, that I hate, but I can't change because I can't get permission from from Heritage England to be able to make those changes. So there's, uh, uh, it's quirky, the building, and the food. We're trying to do something which is. delicious and I don't know the, the easiest way to describe it is 
trying to give people wow moments where they you eat out a lot and you know and you can go to lots of restaurants and oh there's and eat a dish and while talking not say you know that was tasty thank you and carry on but those things that stop you talking and you look up and go yeah that was good those moments and it doesn't happen always in a meal uh, but those really wow that was good you're never gonna you're never gonna have 10 number one hits in an album but trying to give people as many of those those wow moments as they can in a meal that that memorable dishes would you I mean the word uh, modern British has been used a lot for your restaurant would you agree with that um yes <laughs> let's say yes that question is my kryptonite I think just because modern British means nothing to some people and everything to some other people it means anything to anybody if I you know taxi drivers say to me so what's modern British then is it like fish and chips but really small <laughs> you know is it, is it is it pies is it a smoke deal and jelly deal or is it I don't know is it Savaloy sausage or potted shrimps and you know there's so many different people's views of what is British so yeah just say yes and move on what is our food here okay I think we have the best produce in the world I know everybody thinks that about their own country but <laughs> I do too we have amazing lamb breeds, cow breeds, pig breeds, chicken breeds and amazing high standards of animal husbandry and northern European rain so we've got plush grasslands for cattle and things to graze on. Uh, there's a reason that English people are called Le Rose Beef by the French because they had the best beef and they were the best at roasting it because they had Big the, the the cooking style of making big fires, lots of woods. Uh, when you think about uh, the food of Japan has been defined by it being a island nation with a dense inland and a and a populated outskirts eating lots of fish and so that's, and and seaweeds. The UK has been defined by having lots of grassland, forest to burn large fires. So. The way we cook is different to that, to, to the way they cook. And roasting large pieces of meat is, you know, a, a British thing. Uh, then so many amazing breeds of animals that have gone to all other countries in the world. Berkshire pork is, American heritage breed of pork is from Berkshire. Uh, and, you know, and and on and on breeds it you know so we've got amazing and then all the shellfish from Scotland that used to get on the Eurostar and go to go to Paris every day to go to all the palace kitchens and three star restaurants so for a long time there's been a and still is a misconception of oh Britain oh terrible food actually best products in the world thank you very much I, you know and I've travelled and worked in best products in the world okay 
Britain, Spain, Japan, France, okay, yeah, uh, Italy maybe, you know, and like, okay, then a few others, but just across the board, we're very lucky to have all those amazing things, be an island nation with amazing fish as well, even uh, with diff with several different oceans, you know, so we have different 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 uh, bodies of water. So we're very lucky to have a great produce in a nation that industrialized early, and a love of food was seen as a kind of frippery you should be thinking about you know thinking about building trains and, uh, and, and the wealth of nations and other things so I think a, a, a love of food was seen as something that was uh, that smart educated wealthy men should be doing in the past and so people were industrialists and wanted to uh, you know uh, it was that the, the Britain's got great, great produce, but was always slightly embarrassed about taking too long to cook it or talk about it. And that mixed with industrialization, moving lots of people from the from regions into cities, in a flash, breaking chains of connection with local foodstuffs that fell out of production in the the way that Italy has fierce regionality in its foods. Well, there was okay, there was. A multitude of nations that made made up that now one country, uh, all with lots of individual histories, but also they they didn't have the rapid rapid industrialization that we had, that meant that the bakewell tarts and all the way there's few there's few things that remain, but regional specialities fell out of favour because they were usurped by factory foods and biscuits and spam and other things and just and things that were you know made for cities uh, so <laughs> modern British I just say I just say yes <laughs> brief history of, of 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 British cuisine <laughs> but we do amazing produce cooked simply there is you know I grew up I grew up in Scotland and I was talking to a, a Japanese potter was in was in the other day and amazing Japanese potter. I was. I said, you know, we, there is, there is. I grew up in Scotland, but I didn't really eat. There isn't a sense of Scottish food that you eat every day. Maybe, maybe actually, if I lived in Orkney or I lived in Shetland, there would be more of that. But in Glasgow, uh, okay, haggis people think of as Scottish food, and. Uh, We'd have haggis a couple of times a year, but maybe mince and tatties, another Scottish dish we might have, but, uh, you know, herring or fish cooked in oatmeal, a few small dishes, but things were very simple and plain. And we were, again, a country defined by colonialization and the world and you know, a large expat community of Pakistani and Punjabi people in Glasgow meant that I grew up loving curries and uh, 
Hong Kong uh, expats from from um, from China. But there was a large, large Chinese community, and I loved. Uh, I don't remember this, but my friend does on my ninth birthday. All I wanted for was uh, money to go and cook a nine-course tasting menu for all my friends. <laughs> I spent my whole day, got money and cooked nine courses of congee and uh, you know other, other dishes for for other people. Uh, so Scottish food. When I when I think of when I think of an ingredient lamb, I don't start thinking of five different Scottish ways of preparing it because that doesn't really exist. I have inhaled, consumed, read, and memorized for the past twenty five years menus of David Bully, Daniel Bullard, great chefs of France, uh, and you know. I can tell you five different Mediterranean recipes for lamb because they're imprinted on my brain, and but not five different Scottish ingredient combinations that would go that you would serve with lamb. And so there's a so there's always going to be a European lilt to our food because there isn't a strong regional identity of of Scottish food or British food. Mm-hmm. But I like to cook with British ingredients. Yeah. Now we are uh, talking about restaurants out in the world. Uh, any, I mean, when traveling, you are probably mostly traveling because of work. Uh, but when you travel, is there any favorite places, uh, regions, or countries that you would actually love to go to, or that you do go to uh, for the for the food, for the eating? Uh. Yeah, I think I think since uh, fifteen. Okay, I wasn't traveling fifteen years old. Since twenty years old, I have any destination I've been to has been decided on <laughs> wanting to go to a restaurant there. Uh, I went to um, I went to Mugaritz. Must be the year it opened within twenty years anniversaries in two thousand and what must have been two thousand and one. I went before, before I went to Australia, and uh, yeah, that was t- took my took my friend on at age twenty one on a holiday, all based around I wanted to go to to Mugaritz and uh, walked around San Sebastian and found what I thought was the best uh, pincho bar. I'm happy to come back twenty years later and realise it's the number one pincho bar is the best place and you know and which, which one is Gambara. Gambara of course. Yeah. Uh was, you know, I just you know, I still had an eye for it then. Uh I've always travelled for uh travelled for food or chose planned my planned So, where where do I go? I really want to go to Madrid. I want to eat in Diverso. I'd like to go to visit um, Paco Morales in uh, Nur. And I'd like to go to Baga in Jaén. Mm. Uh, Japan is a favourite, but it's been closed for a while. Uh, I always eat well in Singapore and Hong Kong when I go there. Um, 
anywhere, anywhere, you know. <laughs> I know, I know what to look for. <laughs> so if we, uh, if we, uh, I'm excited to be going to to uh, Emilia Romagna next week. Um, any to, any bookings there already? No bookings. I just want to go to the the famous ironmongers in Bologna that's used to be a uh, for horse workers that's uh, got you know amazing kitchen equipment and I'm letting somebody else do the bookings and I, I have absolute confidence that they're going to be great okay uh, what about here if we just look around uh, your surroundings here in London uh, any favorite uh, places from morning to late night simple fancy What's uh, what are the places that you you love to go to? Do you I mean do you yeah. eat much outdoor? Don't eat out enough in London. Um, I or yeah. Uh, don't don't eat out enough in London. Where do I go regularly? I mean, in the past I would have said. Barafina was a favourite. I always used to go to Barafina a lot with my mum. It was just uh, more or less food if she wants. She always has a small appetite or doesn't want to order too much, and it's casual and suited uh, suited times together. And uh, it's it's always great. Uh, close to us here, Smoking Goat is um, um, Thai barbecue food place. Really great. Um, what kind of dishes would you I mean what do you eat there my wife hates spicy food and is probably allergic to chilies so uh, so not very many dishes unfortunately uh, um, we had we had our staff staff um, Christmas party there they were very kind to look after us very well they have larbs they have salads they have uh, they use all the same suppliers we do great great meats and fish and you know, cook them in a simple but you know amazing way. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can name the I can name the the Thai yeah. names for the dishes. Yeah. I haven't been yet, but I really want to go to Ekoi because it sounds like they're doing something really interesting here in London. I've recommended it to about twenty five people without, without having been. Cafe Cecilia looks like my kind of food. Is a uh, in north north of here on the canal in um, um what do you call it yeah just north of here on the canal I'm doing Saint John Quo Vadis kind of simple British food bit of an Irish accent to it uh, Cafe Deco I also haven't been to <laughs> I'm telling you all that. I know where I want to eat in London but I haven't been to is my friend Anna Tobias who's a brilliant cook and I'd love to go there uh any any that you have been to? Forty Maltby Street, amazing food. Um, what what kind of food? Franco British. British, but British, but with a you know. We've always had a close relationship with France, as a nation, and our our food. Uh, been our major food influence I guess and so the chef there Stephen Williams was originally opening saucier chef at the Ledbury when I was there young guy and you know I was in pastry um, and he's a fucking good cook 
every single thing. My wife's best salad she's ever eaten. The simple cucumber and lettuce salad with elderflower and mint. Fritter, everything he does is uh, just a little extra. Very, very, very good. Uh, where else? I live in Leytonstone, East London. There's Singbury Thai restaurant close to me, which is brilliant, amazing Thai food. Unbelievably too hot for my life. And even, like, it's uh, unashamedly very spicy food. Um, so I don't go there as much as I would like to. Where else? Where do I go? Royal China Club on Sundays for a, if we have, if we go for dim sum. Baker Street. Yeah. Uh, where else? Lyles, James Lowe's. Places, what places come to mind when I think of going out to eat? I would like to go back to, at the high end, I'd love to go back to Core by Claire Smith. I've only been there way back in, you know, uh, quite a few years ago. And I would like to go there again. Vivendum, I'd really like to go to again. Helen Darrow's, I'd really like to go to again. Or go to it at all, I haven't been. If, uh, if I would ask you for something uh, simple and traditional in London, would you have any place uh, for that? A pie or uh, something, uh, fish and chips or...? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the problem with modern British is pie and fish and chips is what it means to, to foreign people. It would probably mean something else to me or maybe, maybe, maybe you've got a better idea than I do of what British food is, I don't know, as, a, as an outsider looking in. To have an amazing pie, then uh, my friend Callum Franklin is doing pies in the Rosewood Hotel in the I forget the name of the dining room. The Holborn dining. Holborn dining room, yeah. Uh, very, good. very, very, very good. I did a event. I did the the the, the chef thing for sponsor for Red Bull Icarus restaurant in uh, in. Um, in Austria and they had to film with me here and I went down there to see to make pies and learn learn about pie making with Calm. yeah That's and which it. one would you have there which pie which one he changes them all the time honestly yeah. any one of them I don't know constantly constantly different but the traditional one would be for I mean would that be pork or beef so okay the, you know there's uh, pate on croute and, and cold baked pies and yeah just any anyone uh, fish and chips fish and chips I don't know just basically not in London actually <laughs> uh, uh, Glasgow for whatever reason and my wife would say Edinburgh she's right over from Glasgow great great uh, competition <laughs> She thinks the best fish and chips are in Edinburgh. I think they're in Glasgow. Most people in Scotland would say that they're uh, further up the coasts in Scotland, where the the there where fish is landed fresher. I I would say possibly where there's a good uh, expat Italian community, which there was a large expat Italian community in Glasgow, uh, less so, but built in Italy in um, in Edinburgh as well. 
Philadelphia Cafe was by was by uh, on, on Great Western Road in Glasgow. <laughs> Can be my world, world of mouth recommendation for fish and chips. It's still there. Still there. Okay. Still very good. And what would you have there? Uh, it's called a fish supper. A supper means uh, with chips, <laughs> Not, or a single fish is uh, is just with with no chips. I would have a fish supper, and that's that's all you need to know. And what do you add to it? Salt and vinegar. Yeah. That's it. No mayonnaise or tartare or something. No, no, you don't get that in Scotland. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, in Edinburgh they have they have Edinburgh they have chippy sauce, which is a weird only Edinburgh thing mix of HP sauce, brown sauce, and vinegar fifty fifty. So it's a really thin, sprayable okay. brown sauce. Yeah, never like that. Yeah. Yeah. Any bakeries or uh, that kind of things that you would know here in London? Bread, breakfast, cafe. Uh, I love the bread from Dusty Knuckle Bakery, East London. Pastries and stuff. I don't really go to anywhere. I don't know. Uh, I would. Okay, here's where I would go. Although I haven't tried their pastries. I just recommend any place that I don't know if it's getting good or not. Top Class Bakery, which is named for... Famous author. Is it Emma B. Top Class? It is opened by the founders of Freeze Art Fair. Uh, opened a bakery and restaurant. Top Class. They got my very good friend, amazing Scottish baker, Adam Sellers, to consult and set up the bakery for them, so I know it'll be bloody good. And the name is? Toklas. Toklas. T-O-K-L-A-S, yeah. I recently, we started using their connection, their, from the Freeze, the Freeze Art World connection, knew a guy called Vicente Todoli, who was the director of the Tate Modern moved back to uh, Valencia where he's from and after doing a book with Fer and Adria touring around and they went to a citrus grower in, in Montpellier and, uh, who, citrus in pots and he had to bring them inside in the winter because it would get too cold and he said Fer why is nobody doing this in Spain what, you know and they said to him well you're in Valencia your dad grew citrus why don't you do it mm. and so he started the Todoli Citrus Foundation and grows hundreds of varieties of citrus. Through their connection with Top Class, they've started importing them to the UK, so we've started buying these uh, amazing citrus from, yeah, from um, from from Valencia, yeah. of 50, 50 or so varieties. Yeah. So last question. If you would uh, be able to jump on a plane tomorrow in the morning yeah. and fly anywhere in the world and have dinner tomorrow night, where would you go? My wife would say Cellar de Can Roca, her favorite meal ever. Uh, and you? I would love to go back to Japan. Um, for one meal, so many. Noma still inspiring just the they managed to create a magic around the hall just the excitement of walking in and the greeting and the everything about the, the aura around the place 
it's just vibrating with positive energy and you know uh, enthusiasm and amazing it's like the you know it's the like we get it's it's not always meant to you're not always meant to enjoy it <laughs> not all, always yeah. enjoyable yeah well, would, some pain as well uh, but then then that trickles down through the into the you know into the mainstream from there it's the you know it's the whole couture of uh, of restaurants you know some things are just wacky and out there and they can do it and congratulations to them uh, yeah I, I haven't been for a while I need to go back I went just we landed back from Noma just the day before lockdown UK lockdown two years ago so that's the last time I was there uh, that's my two very good very good okay Isaac Mikhail thank you so much for this and good luck with everything and uh, hope seeing you soon again thank you very much pleasure thank you thank you for listening to the World of Mouth podcast with Chef Isaac McHale in London find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more on the World of Mouth app available in your app store or visit our website at worldofmouth.app You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. I'm Kenneth Nars. Until next week, when we meet Chef Dave Pint in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs>